this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Today, Jay, what we're doing right now, it's the last time we're ever going to do this. I'm not talking about the podcast. I'm talking <laughs> oh, geez, about... scared me. Oh, I forgot I to mention... I was getting laid off. I'm moving to Australia to um, Is join that a problem? The, the Southern River Band as their uh, <laughs> hand clap guy. Uh, no, this is the last time we're going to do an albums of episode. We've done every year albums of 1991, 92, 93. The only one we didn't start with 90, 1990, we started with 1995 and have worked our way. We're now in 1994. This is the last one, Jay. This is it. Make this it is good. It. So we've we have broken out one of the bigger roundtables that we're we're gonna do here. I think this might only be eclipsed by the Nirvana roundtable, where literally every patron we had was, I think, on that roundtable. The list is quite extensive. But for this one, we are welcoming welcoming back to the show Eric Peterson, Ian McIver, Marissa Buxbaum, Chip Midnight. Jim Lakowski. Did I say that right, Jim? You got it. Okay. <laughs> and you and me and Kyle will be Kyle Bittner will be in and out. He's got a choppy connection. He's trying to make it work. Uh, and we might have some other people pop up. Some fun guests might pop up when we don't expect it. We'll see what happens. Uh, but we're talking about 1994. Everyone, I'm assuming, was alive in 1994. We don't have any uh, uh, any Gen Zers or Alphas here. <laughs> Although our kids are, Tim's, I see Tim, Tim scanning the Zoom, looking at everybody. I'm like I'm, sure. I'm like sure I'm gonna I'm, make, I'm gonna make sure there's no children here, right? There's no children. This is an R-rated episode, uh, based on the the some of the albums that we're gonna be talking about. Uh, so let me ask everyone. It, looking back at 1994, I found. I don't know if you guys found this. But looking back at 1984, this might be the biggest stuffed year of album releases. When I started listening, just the stuff that I knew, I was like, oh, my God. And then then just the stuff off the top of my head. And then when I started going deeper into like, okay, what about indie releases? What about this? What about that? This is a massive year. When you guys were doing your research, did you find that as well, that you were like, there are so many releases this year. This might be the biggest of them all. Don't all speak. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I, it was also uh, some of these records. I just really had a hard time believing they came out in 1994. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like some of them, you're like, "Yeah, okay, that sounds about right." And other ones, I'm like, "No, no, can't be, can't be." But mm-hmm. yes, yeah, this was a deep pain. My my question is, was this finally the year that all of the bands and scenes that got signed and promoted following? Uh, the breakout of Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, that they actually got their records to market. 
That's a good question. I think that's probably true that the A&R development, you know, finding the bands after Nirvana broke, after Pearl Jam and everybody else. Oh, of course, there were like already alternative bands happening with Jane's Addiction and, and uh, you know, other ones, Living Color and, you know, so there was already a, a an undercurrent of alternative happening but this was like the i feel like this was the the mainstream label push of the biggest amount of material and good material like this this feels like a really solid year looking back through it as opposed to when you get into like sort of the later end of the decade you start getting the third wave of stuff but then also you start getting like some weaker material from some artists and that just is my uh recollection or 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 when i'm looking at what was happening speaking of what was happening this was a crazy year speaking of you know you talk about jay you couldn't believe how much stuff came out this yep. is the year okay that allison chains spoiler alert jar fries became the first ep to ever chart at number one okay that's that's pretty good yeah. um this is the year that Pink Floyd plays their final tour. This is the oh year my. the Eagles reunited. And it was the first time an arena tour charged $100 a ticket. It had never happened before. Right. Yep. I that was a the, uh, huge deal. Solid $35 ticket prices. Um, this is the free as a bird year when the three surviving members of the Beatles got together and recorded free as the, the, instrumental parts of john lennon's demo yep um this is the year that uh what was what was the other well obviously this is your the kirk cobain commits suicide we all remember that <laughs> um <laughs> this is the year that michael jackson and lisa marie presley are married this is the year lisa left eye lopez burns down Andre Risen's mansion when they get into a fight. This is the year Aerosmith becomes the first major band to premiere a song on the internet on CompuServe. Oh my gosh. Yep. That song a, Head just First, thinking, which I don't know what that, that is. Just thinking of uh listening to music on the internet in 90, 1994 is painful. This is I can't the year how long that took. Jay this is the year the first item is sold on the internet, which is a copy of Sting's 10 Summoner's Tales on CD. It wasn't 12... porn? No, it wasn't porn. <laughs> I know that porn yeah. usually leads the way, I'm but it was a copy research here, Sam. of Sting's album. You sure? Yes. Sure about that? It's in Wikipedia. It has to be true. Do we know when CD now goes online? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, probably after 95 with Microsoft, uh, with Windows 95 and Internet Explorer being installed on every computer with what, Windows and all that. So I imagine probably follow that. A couple of other things. Um, this is the year that uh, Blind Melon's lead singer Shannon Hoon gets arrested after the American Music Awards for, he actually got ejected from the ceremony and then was arrested uh, for battery assault and resisting arrest 
Um, this is the year of uh, Brian Adams becomes the first Western music star to perform in Vietnam since the end of the Vietnam War. That's I did not know that. That's crazy. Uh, what else was there? I mean, there's just there's so much stuff. This is the year that parody became fair use when a Cuff Rose music sued Luther Campbell because they they parodied Pretty Woman. And the Supreme Court said, yes, parody is free use, is fair use. So it was a huge year for, um, you know, that particular legal ruling. Yeah. Uh, this is the year that Madonna had her infamous appearance on Late Night with David Letterman. I don't know if everybody remembers that or not, but that was insane. She was like swearing the whole time and <laughs> Letterman was like kind of <laughs> confused and didn't know what the hell was going on. Um this is the year that the Fillmore reopened, the legendary club in San Francisco. Does anybody know who who was the band that reopened the Fillmore? You're not know, gonna... Grateful Dead. Nope. Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, okay. This is the year Pearl Jam filed a complaint with the U.S. Justice Department over the monopoly of Ticketmaster. I was going to ask if that correlated with the $100 tickets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes it just so happens that when the eagles reunite mm. after 24 years and charge 100 dollars <laughs> a ticket pearl jam goes wait a minute uh that's not uh this is also the year that bernard butler leaves suede i mean there's just there's a lot of stuff happening here and then of course woodstock 94 this is this is the year of a that mud soaked the mud soaked yes exactly uh that's just some of it i mean this was a huge year and not even mentioning like this is the year of certain albums and you know jimmy page and robert plant got back together to do the unplugged and uh released the no quarter album i mean this was a lot of stuff was happening and this is the year unfortunately well or i don't know depending on your view that warner bought 49 percent of sub pop and uh changed things uh, a little bit for that uh for that label going forward i believe didn't sub pop like buy themselves back out of that eventually or or sort of get some of that back i don't remember i i think that that's what happened but anyway let's move on to the albums let's move on to talking about the music of 1994 after all that factoid information we're going to start with we're going to have four categories that we're talking about that our patrons have chimed in on our pay on our patreon and then also um are going to be doing here we're gonna start with popular records that were released in 1994 that's have stood the test of time so these are records that people know and somehow have stayed good because a lot of stuff hasn't and we've discovered that for every year that we've done this so i'm going to start let's go alphabetically and start with First names, Chip. I'm going to start with you. Give me an album from 1994, a popular record that you think have stood the test of time. I'm going to go with The Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails. Ian just lost his mind because you said that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Ian just flipped the table. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at my. I mean, I know it's supposed to be quick. Let me tell you real quick. In 1994, I helped start uh, an alternative rock magazine called Moo. First issue featuring somebody Marissa knows. 
the Afghan wigs. Um, that was probably the year that I spent the most money on CDs and also the year that I started realizing that publicists would send you free CDs in the mail. Um, so I have a huge collection of music from 1994 mm. and there was a lot of good stuff that year. Eric, what have you got for 1994 as something that has stood the test of time that was popular? Popular. Um, I'm going to go with something that was popular in its genre, I guess. And I'm going to say uh, Awake by Dream Theater. So my take on a 1994 looking at the albums is this was the peak of what might have been the first wave of what we can refer to maybe as the more um, thinking man's progressive hard rock and metal bands like, uh, you know, starting off with Queensryche or King's X, um, Marillion, Fate's, Fate's Warning, uh, those kinds of bands. And I think uh, Dream Theater at this point in time hit their probably their peak of both being technically proficient, progressive um, hard rock metal band, but but also being accessible pop music. Okay. It was so weird at the time. I just can't emphasize enough being a fan of that band at the time, how weird it was that they were popular. Like they were just so counter to what else was going on in 94, but it sort of didn't matter. It was just, it worked because it was good prog. Ian. <laughs> I know your thunder has been sm slightly stolen. If you would like oh, to. Oh, yeah. I'm leaving Chip and you guys a one star review for the 80s metal podcast. <laughs> you are welcome to reiterate or do something yeah. else. So, I, I mean, obviously, with the downward spiral, I mean, I can talk about that for a whole podcast, but uh, I'll go with an alternate, but somewhat related. Um, the Crow original soundtrack. Oh, uh, yeah. So. Like I said, I can obviously talk about uh, Downward Spiral for an hour, uh, but this one um, obviously has a Nine Inch Nails on it as well with uh, the cover of uh, uh, Joy Division, uh, Dead Souls on it as to Cure with Burn. Um, everyone talks about the single soundtrack uh, being kind of the definitive 90s one. No, I feel that this is probably the definitive 90s soundtrack. Singles, covers, a genre, a scene, but this has a wide variety of 90s music and it probably best encapsulates, encapsulates the, the soundtrack, the sounds of the 90s on a single disc. That's a good call. There were a lot of good soundtracks this year. We'll get into them, uh, I'm sure, throughout the show. Jim, what is your pick for an album that has stood the test of time? Well, I... See, I don't know if it was popular in terms of being a big seller, but obviously if you can see my my background of choice. Um, it was critically popular and acclaimed, certainly made a lot of best of lists that year. And I'm talking about my guy, Jeff Buckley. Mm -hmm. who, um, you know, he changed my life in, in the same way that Kurt Cobain did a couple of years previously. And for a lot of musicians, I just never heard anyone sing like that before. Uh, and, you know, anyone who hears that record knows like his range, he could play these, you know, gorgeous ballads and, and, you know, make songs like Hallelujah sound completely his own. And he even threw in, you know, an insane rocker or two on that record, like Eternal Life. I just feel like he made me realize what a voice could achieve 
<laughs> you know, like just the terms of dynamics and range and just I, I still to this day go back to that record and just get goosebumps every single time. This is our last goodbye. I hate to feel the love between us down But it's over I just hear this and then I'll go You gave me more to live for More than you'll ever know I feel like the last goodbye video was played quite a bit on yeah. MTV. Um, Cause I remember seeing it and being like, who's this good looking singer songwriter dude that these, <laughs> the label found and is pushing. Like, I didn't know. I didn't, I hadn't heard the record. I just heard that one song and I was like, Oh, this guy, he'll be, he'll be gone. And he'll be a flash in the pan. Like <laughs> I was completely wrong about that. Marissa, yeah. what have you got for us for your pick? Um, I am going to go full populist, but also betray my own uh, country of origin and go with definitely maybe by Oasis. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the band at their rawest, hungriest, most visceral, um, and they're most openly yearning for a kind of rock stardom that at this point in the 90s would have been regarded probably as passe and kind of gauche um, by a lot of their contemporaries. Uh, They were shameless, angry, bonehead rock music, which is my favorite kind of rock music there is. And uh, they had this joyous, uh, um, like worshipful stance toward all the bands that I was raised on myself growing up. So they were, uh, it was the wheel coming full circle for me. Excellent. That's a great pick. Uh, despite Ian's protests, uh, Jay, what what have you got for a, a a big record that you think has stood the test of time? I'm gonna go with the Black Crows and Morica. I think this is them at sort of their peak. It's also, I think, as they turn the corner and the band starts to become a bit fractured, they start to get more jammy as the time goes on and the records go up, goes on the records don't become as they're not as strong cohesive to me this is like we we did a whole episode on it but it's a super cohesive record it's also a little experimental you know they push things a bit here but you can still tell there's some awesome hooks bands playing great you know they still feel like a band on this record i think after this it starts to feel less so so to me this is like pretty much the peak um in their catalog uh so I, I think it still holds up really well i think we we all praised it in the review we did of it mm-hmm. i love it at the time i still think it's super super solid so that's my pick well i'm going with purple by stone temple pilots which was you know a huge record at the time and i think i've kind of gone back and forth on it to where I actually appreciate it more now listening to songs like interstate love song and realizing, Oh, this isn't just like a catchy rock song. Like there's, this is actually a really well-written almost alt country song in some weird ways, which was pointed out during a conversation on, on discord and the maturity from a very, I think kind of one note first record, which is 
very grungy and dirgy in a lot of places to this next record purple where it is a lot more varied a lot more self-assured and it doesn't have the baggage that would carry go with the band after this with regards to scott wyland's issues and it just sounds like a band that's like hitting their stride perfectly um and i remember this is around the time that they did the cover of dancing days for encomium and i think you could hear a little bit of the zeppelin influence on them on this record like it has that timelessness to it so that's my pick for a record that i I didn't expect it to be because there was definitely a long period of time where I was not interested in ever listening to Stone Temple yeah, Pilots again. It got so overplayed. Yes. But I do remember when Interstate Love Song came out that it was a really distinctive and kind of a left turn. I did not expect the band to sound like that. Yep. Yeah, even the first single, Vaseline, kind of blew my mind because it's basically just that da-na-na-na-na-na, but the melody he built on top of that is just mm. so good. And I was just so impressed because I wrote them off initially a little bit too. It's like just a, a grungy wannabe kind of a band with core. Like I just mm-hmm. thought they're all right. But then purple was like, Whoa, yeah, this sounds like a record. My dad would have listened to in the seventies. <laughs> they were also on the crow soundtrack. And I remember yeah, the, yeah, they the, the single being, being the big lead off video on MTV. And I think one of the first places that we saw the images from the crow movie. Yeah. Yeah, the, well, the the Crow soundtrack was released on the same label as sound as uh, Stone Temple Pilots. I mean, everyone, a lot of people. I mean, maybe it's just me because I don't care for STP, but I mean, a lot of people think of Nails with Dead Souls, The Cure with Burn, which is probably their best song in the '90s, in my opinion, and and that. But it, it tends to get overlooked. But I mean, yeah, they just got the lead single or the only single because of they were on the same label. um yeah i i even though i've kind of like burnt out on songs like uh what was the uh i don't need to hear like uh what was the other one that was the big single like unglued like that that's a little bit too straightforward for me from that record but a lot of the stuff and I, i think it's partly because I've grown to appreciate Dean DeLeo's guitar playing, like just how diverse of a player he is. And every solo sounds a little bit different. He, he always finds really cool guitar tones. And it's, um, I know not people have, have somehow turned against Brendan O'Brien, but he does a hell of a job with the production on that record. I think it sounds really good. Uh, also, I didn't realize this until I was re- doing research, but... Paul Leary from the Butthole Surfers is on that record. He plays a guitar solo on Loungefly, which I was like, what? Why would <laughs> the guy from the Butthole Surfers is on a Stone Temple Pilots album? Yeah, it's totally random. I'll throw this out there now. What are some other records to the group from 1994 that you think are, you know, they're big records and they have absolutely stood the test of time? Who has a few other suggestions that you want to throw out there? Ian, I'll start with you. I'm going to go in the opposite direction of Marissa and say Blur, Park Life. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. 
that's a good pick. I, I mean, obviously, I don't care for Oasis. It's obviously where I stand on this side of the battle. But um, well, you know what we have to do is we have to fight to the death now. You do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know if uh, border uh, services will let us cross into each other's country <laughs> to commit murder. <laughs> That's, uh, <laughs> it's true. And, uh, but yeah, no, uh, I, I mean, obviously, I mean, th this album, I, I think, is definitely one of Blur's best and definitely their, their peak. Uh, I mean, obviously, the next two albums would build off, but it's because of this album. Mm-hmm. That's a great pick. Eric? Uh, American Recordings by Johnny Cash. Oh, yeah, that's this year. Yep. Which which really for maybe a lot of us starts the uh process of rediscovering Outlaw Country and bringing uh attention back to some of these songwriters that were massively popular around the time a lot of us were born that um had fallen off largely due to uh, lackluster output in the eighties. Yeah, uh, that's so true. That felt like a, yeah. a pivotal moment where a lot of artists that had been marginalized suddenly for the next decade, almost could kind of reemerge and reinvent themselves. Well, this is the year I wanted to mention Tom Petty's wildflowers because I was, I didn't love that record when it came out. It was a little mellow for me but I think I've matured into it now. It's um, one of his best. It's, it is, it really is one of his best, but I didn't, I, you know, I was a young whippersnapper who didn't appreciate the, uh, the more chilled aspect of, of that record and, and, and uh, the more relaxed songwriting that he did on that one. So it's one now that like, I think they released, uh, a couple was it like two years ago where they released the double version of uh, of that record, which has a lot of great material on it. So, um, so you met you mentioned Jar of Flies. So this is also the the acoustic sounds coming back into alternative. Mm -hmm. This is also the year that Mark Lanigan has Whiskey for the Holy Ghost, which might be the most realized of his early solo records, which is definitely a blues acoustic record, right? Kyle, how are you? Are you able to talk? I'm good. Can you hear me? You are clear as a bell. Yeah. There's like nine people on my Wi-Fi in my house right now. My wife's in a meeting and my kids are playing video games. And so I apologize. I apologize. I had to log in through the work computer. It's all right. Hey, do you have a popular, Just don't lay me off. Do you have a popular record from 1994 that you think has stood the test of time? Uh, I do. I don't know if it was mentioned, probably not given this crowd, but I would say Pearl Jam Vitology. It has not been mentioned. All right. So for me, that was a big one. Um, you know, it, the, the vinyl version, I'm sure most of you know, came out a couple of weeks before the actual CD or cassette version. Um, I was one of the only people that I knew at the time that had a record player. It wasn't mine. It was my parents. But uh, I skipped school. Uh, I was in grade 13. I had to do some upgrading. And uh, decided to skip one of my grades to, or one of my classes to go pick this up uh, from a local store. So I got it, brought it home. I was one of the only people that could ever hear it in my class that I was aware of. So um, at that time, it was a really special record for me. And I've kept that vinyl with me. Even when I didn't have a record player, it still traveled with me. It's pretty warped and banged up now, but uh, I've still kept it. 
And as a musical, like as as a record, I still think that it does hold up. Um, it shows the band sort of leaving that versus and 10 era and moving into their new sort of no code and yield era with uh with a few experimental sides thrown in so i agree with you that's my favorite pearl jam record and uh i know we talked about pearl jam recently on the 10 episode but that's the one where i you know went to a midnight sale and stood in line for two hours (laughs) waiting to buy it on cassette not on yeah. CD because I was a weirdo. Um, I think I bought the record and then I still went to the midnight sale to pick up the CD version of it so I could listen to it in the car. And uh, yeah, love it. Hate the packaging on the CD side anyway. Oh, it but... doesn't fit into your... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a pain. Yep. Such a pain. Uh, all right. I yeah. got one, Tim. You got one? Okay. Uh, Beastie Boys Ill Communication. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. so huge. I mean, I've said that first time I said Blur, but <laughs> yeah, that's a great pick. Yeah, um, let's get into our popular records that maybe haven't aged well. So things that you know sold millions of copies, and by the end of the decade, even you could find them in the used bins for a dollar. Uh, now that would be on Discogs for two dollars all right or half price everybody books. all at once one all at once one two three rem's uh, yeah, monster, monster. <laughs> oh, don't, don't, don't spoil it for me uh, i feel like this year has a couple of of those where you're like oh yeah that came out this year um and it was definitely in the in the cutout bin quite a bit all right um i'm going to reverse engineer the list that we just went through so i'm going to start with you marissa what is what's an album that it came out it was big maybe you even bought it and now it's like oof that did not stand up i i'm gonna temper my response by saying that i still cherish this album in the way that one cherishes kitsch trash you know it's it's still an integral part of my childhood and i don't know anyone who was my age or a little bit older who didn't have a copy of it at one point and that is throwing copper by live um (laughs) yeah you took my pick it was really kind of uh the the canary in the coal mine for the death of grunge um much more so i'd say than uh machine head by bush um and th- don't worry i won't blow your cover but um you know to, to me the rejection of bush was kind of colored a little bit by the fact that gavin rossdale was a, a like a pretty boy and the idea that you'd have you know he still is that's yeah, not, I mean, not, chicks yeah. latching on to him uh, in a particular way that was grounded in attraction versus authenticity, which is, you know, BS dichotomy anyway, because you know, take a look at uh, the Beatles. But um, I I found that that the, the more I come back to it, the more I'm like, oh, man, this is like this is corny, corny in a way that is still really enjoyable to me. Um, those songs have just like 
burned into my brain for better or for worse. But um, it it's yeah, I think I'm pretty sure they're sort of on the nostalgia touring circuit now for a reason. And that, you know, I, I don't necessarily use that as a judgment, a negative judgment, because a lot of my favorite bands uh, are, are sort of relegated to cruises and nostalgia touring and, you know, triple bills of, of uh, bands whose second and third albums, you know, like just everything fell off after, you know, 1997, 1998 or so. But Throwing Copper is the one that I feel like so there's kind of a consensus on that you you it's a guilty pleasure. Yeah. I'll, I'll just jump in because that was my pick too. Mm. <laughs> and I don't have another one. But GMTA. I totally agree. There's like a nostalgia for me because I loved it so much at the time. But now with the distance when I listen to it, man, they're trying so hard. Yeah. <laughs> they're trying so hard to be like deep and, you know, complex and it, parts of it are just, yeah, corny and silly. Uh, I will say that the the there are a handful of songs that weren't like the hits that when I do revisit them, I'm kind of pleasantly surprised. But like yeah. uh, Shit Town is a really good track. Um, mm -hmm. And and it's, a, you know, a, not the most sophisticated social commentary as far as like 90s rock bands go, but it's it's a solid tune and it it's not cloying in the way that like I alone is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah uh jim what what do you have for something that's let you down after well, it it was just mentioned and that would be bush with 16 stone because i certainly owned that record and man i uh, it had so many singles it was played to death uh i remember seeing the movie uh fear with mark Wahlberg and reese witherspoon <laughs> and i was like yeah come down that baseline kicks in i was just like yeah i was so into this shit and, and now i go back and i listen to it, i'm like nah not so much the lyrics are pretty terrible overall on that record i mean it, it was just trying to cash in on the grunge scene and kind of failing miserably uh especially yeah their follow-up record is really when i turned on them and just said i don't get this band and i don't think i ever need to listen to them again I still kind of like some of the sing like I think the yeah. like slide guitar and everything Zen is still pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, his lyrics are nonsense. They're just it, like yeah, they don't mean and anything. When you when you hear Machine Head at the Blue Jackets game, you still get pumped. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. That's, that's like the great thing about 1994, though, right? Is because like even the records where upon reflection you're a little embarrassed, they still have those high points where you can yeah, proudly yeah. sing along at karaoke. Yes. Uh, Ian. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for me, uh, Marilyn Manson, Portrait of American Family. Um, yeah. I love Get Your Gun and Lunchbox. Those are great songs. They're the singles. Um, but it, it doesn't hold up. I mean, obviously, Gidget Gain, the base, original bass player, would leave in favor of Shriggy Ramirez, who obviously had a huge impact on the sound that would follow with the the smells like children ep and um antichrist superstar but and of course uh daisy berkowitz uh, the original guitarist would leave during the uh uh antichrist uh, superstar sessions um but yeah it, it it very much stands out as an oddity in his uh, discography and i mean i'm ignoring the whole personal side of the 
of uh, Manson as well, but just musically, like it, it's very much an oddity. It's one that you can skip completely in his discography if you are a fan. Uh, Eric. Okay, well, I unintentional theme here because started with Dream Theater Awake, which is the high point of that particular genre of metal. And then I mentioned Johnny Cash's American Recordings, and now I'm going to another artist that is uh, somebody who ma massively squandered uh, a high point in their career, and that's Danzig 4. Going Oof. from that kind of blues metal, groove metal sound that he had with Danzig 3 to a you know fake industrial sound that just has not held up. And yeah. this really starts the, his slide from the high points of, you know, mother and, uh, you know, who the God, who was it, uh, whom the God kill, gods kill, excuse me, and uh, Dirty Black Summer and all that kind of stuff that really, you know, was right, the right music at the right time. And then he comes out with this and it's just, he's done. Yeah, that was awful. And I was, I like, I didn't listen to the Misfits, but when I heard, Danzig and Mother, I was like, oh, this is cool, and got the CD. And then I was out as quickly as possible <laughs> on the next one. <laughs> uh, Chip, what's something that has not stood the test of time that was big back then for you? So I have my rose-colored glasses on tonight, and even the stuff in 94 that I, like, a, a quick little aside story about Bush is... In that magazine that I wrote for called Moo, I wrote a, a review of, of the Bush album. And I think I let it off by saying something along the lines of like, Gavin Rosdale must have been searching in the dumpsters behind Nirvana's recording studio and pulled out all the things that they threw away. <laughs> Fast forward a year and I see Bush headlining a an arena in Dayton and Baruch Assault is opening. And Baruch Assault takes me backstage and they invite me to go to dinner with in the arena with Bush. So I'm sitting across the table from Gavin Rosdale and Gavin, like they introduced me as like, this is Chip. He's interviewed us before. He's our friend. It was like, I wasn't even at the table. Like Gavin Rosdale never said a word to me. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, he must've read the review. <laughs> <laughs> Which he obviously did. I think that was his marriage to Gwen Stefani as well. Yeah. But I will yeah. Yeah. But, I but I'll tell you like that album to me, like now, like, like you mentioned, I think Tim, like, I saw them maybe eight, nine years ago. And like the, I, those songs are part of my, like, not part of my DNA, but like, I, like I'll listen to them. Like, I, I like that record now. Like I said, rose-colored glasses. I think uh, I was trying to come up with something from that year that like just didn't didn't do it for me. The two, uh, one is not a, is a, not a music record, but um, I think like No Quarter, that Jimmy Page, Robert Plant thing. Like I don't think I love that. Um, 
didn't think it was like more acoustic-y and just folky and like I didn't love that. And then uh this will this will date me and I'll have to look at reactions around the table here, but um uh, Jerky Boys 2 came out that year. <laughs> wow. Hey there, Jerky. Is that the one that has L7 and all those uh no, no, it's like, no, I don't think it was a soundtrack. I think it was just like oh. it was more the joke calls. And yeah. you know, I mean that again, that dates like like prank phone calls that were recorded. Yeah, um, so 90s. Oh my goodness. Oh, yeah, God. it sold a ton of records. <laughs> There's a ton, ton of CDs, but um I think I, I listened to it probably three times in 94 and have not listened to it. I, I might even still have it, but uh yeah, that that is I always wondered who bought those CDs and now I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tr trust me, I, I have friends that that uh I'm like, really? You 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 bought that? Yeah, it's like Adam Sandler CDs in the night. I was like, who's buying those? Things? Remember, yes. people were, were buying <laughs> records by Andrew Dice Clay and Sam Kinison. So, I mean, oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Comedy records were huge around that time. But yeah, those are those are the only two off my list that I can, uh, you know, I after we're done here, I'm going to go listen to Throwing Copper because I do like that record. Oh, boy. And, uh... <laughs> it's not bad. I, I think it I, I gave it a, on it. Yeah, I mean, I gave it a I think pretty good review and we talked about it like last year tim but i think i was the one who was harsh on it yeah you were more harsh on it than i was yeah i, 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 I had like i think a lot of nostalgia for it and i sort of made excuses for some things but <laughs> again yeah, lyri see, lyrically it just doesn't cringy it doesn't it's, do much for me lyrically like that yeah. uh our yeah. love is like water pinned down and abused eh, eh. What? Huh? <laughs> I think okay. more important than the music or the lyrics, it's going to be that it it triggers something in your brain that reminds you of being in your twenties. Sure. Yeah. When music was exciting and MTV was exciting, and yeah, you know that it it was hopefully you know a lot of us had a cohort of people around us who were also excited about that stuff. Kyle, record that was popular that hasn't aged well for you. Oof, I have two. I think I might save one for the love yes. on release, but not now. Um, I'm going to probably have to go with Beck, Mellow Gold. Um, oh. I just, you know, I, I loved it. Somebody recommended it to me when I was in high school. I, I listened to it, loved it, bought the CD, played the hell out of it. And uh, I think I still to this day play Loser on a regular basis. I mean, that the slide guitar in Loser is such a hard thing to get us to get away from. Um, but I just, I, it's such a slog to get through the rest of the album. I just, it, it does not resonate with me to this day. Um, I like Beer Can. I think Beer Can's a pretty cool tune. Um, Pay No Mind is okay, but the lyrics, the delivery, I find it super sloppy. Um, and I know that that's what he was going for at the time. I think just now it, and hearing what, what he became, um, I just think it's, for me, it's just not a great record in his, in his catalog. Jay, what you got? I know you've been had some stuff I already, stolen. I already said my piece. I'm throwing copper. That's what okay. I okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna say an album here, and you're gonna. I'm, I'm probably gonna blow some minds. But uh -oh. so I went to see Page Plant in '95 at Gundarina in Cleveland. The opening band was Rusted Root, and for a short period of time, I was very into Rusted Root. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I wasn't I the only like, one. Send I me feel on like my I don't way, even man. know you <laughs> because they sold a million copies of When I Woke, which came out in 1994. In two years, 
500,000. Who are you? They opened for Paige Plant. I was in, I was enamored with Paige Plant because I was a huge Led Zeppelin fan. So when I saw them, I was like, yeah, man. Yeah, I get this. I get the hippie dance and stuff. Okay, that's cool. I, I don't know when I turned, but I turned pretty quickly after that. But yeah, I was, I was definitely into Rusted Root for like a good year or two. And then I don't so, even think so I listened I to the next record. So glad I didn't know you then. You didn't know me then. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. You would have seen me. I would have had my, you know, I've been, I would have been kicking the beanbag around. What's the, the hacky sack I would have been hacking the sack. And I met you like maybe two years later after that fever had broke. Yes, exactly. So that record has not, that band and that record have not stood up for me. Uh, this stood the test of time. And, and I probably would have said that in 1996. Like, what the, what was I thinking? Why was I into this band? Shouldn't they be on permanent tour with Fish at this point? I don't even, are they still an active band? I guess I, they went on hiatus in 2015, according to their Wikipedia. I just, I just clicked onto that. Uh, so I, I, yeah, you would seem like they could just do that forever, like Fish and just go around and whatever. But yep. Uh, so, why don't we move to I, I this has got to be the popular one overlooked albums at the time that were discoveries later on so I, i'm sure everybody has a long list let's do one now and then we'll do the the, the group thing afterwards but i'm gonna go now in let's see i'm gonna start with ian because ian's like he's very i don't i don't i i don't want my thunder stolen on this one Portis had dummy phenomenal album and that uh i knew them uh because the year before uh with giant dollar they did uh, remixes for depeche mode for walking in my shoes and in your room uh those singles uh when this came out and i listened to it i was blown away and this is definitely an album that is a fine wine it just keeps getting better but it just doesn't have that broad love. I don't know why. I, I and um, I mean, everyone would say, "Oh, the trip hop genre," and it's not really. It's 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 a scene. It's a sound, but it's not really a genre. And but uh, but when it comes to that, everyone points to Massive Attack. Mm-hmm. And, and these these guys just get overlooked, and it's like I don't know why. But it's it's definitely one I highly recommend and uh, worthy album. Great pick, phenomenal. Yeah, totally. Let's go with Jim. What's your pick for an overlooked record? Well, this is an interesting one because uh, I wanted to go back and listen to it on Spotify, but apparently, and this is just something I'm warning the listeners ahead of time. Uh, every song gets abruptly cut off. So whoever digitized this particular record did a very bad job and I'm not happy. I'm talking about uh, the mistaken with Santa Fe and for fans of silver Jews, definitely check this out. And it has a little bit of a, like a velvet underground Jonathan Richmond feel to the music at times. And it's, fronted by a guy named Greg Turner who used to front the Angry Samoans. Mm. But I think I just have to go out and rebuy the CD because it's just, it was such a really 
sleeped upon record at the time. And I absolutely love this sound, this style, and of course his lyrics, because I'm a lyrics guy, clearly. And yeah, I just wish people would go out there and discover this, but this is one of those that you probably have to do some deep digging for. Because <laughs> yeah, like I said, the streaming service, when I went back to listen to it on Spotify, they even misspelled the, the title of the record. And I'm like, what is going going on here oh, so God. i just want to like like write to spotify and be like hey take this off <laughs> dear mr spotify <laughs> yeah whoever's running that show over there has to look into this one because i wasn't happy but it's yeah the mistaken with santa fe is a record that i hope people go and seek out especially if you're a david berman guy like me so did you go listen to the angry samoans yeah yeah i went back and listened to them for sure and they're great cool eric I'm calling you because you talked. <laughs> so I did not plan any of these to connect this way, but my, my last pick was Danzig, who uh, most of us think of now as being, uh, you know, the front man of the misfits. A lot of people consider the greatest horror punk band of all time. So my record is probably the best horror punk record of 1994. And that is born in the basement by the groovy ghoulies. So very much a, um, Ramones misfits inspired pop punk, but they always had an element of bubblegum pop and psychedelic music and even a little bit of like Neil Young roots rock in their sound. And with this record, they start off with uh, you know, like an intro song and then they go right into a Partridge Family song and then a 13th floor elevator song and they cover love and they cover Bob Dylan. Um, this is just a, a solid pop punk garage punk record and they don't really hit their accessible peak until their next record, but this is, is definitely that, that record that comes, uh, you know, after their first full length, but before their third one where they kind of solidify into the great band. So uh, yeah. Born in the basement by the groovy ghoulies. Very cool. I've listened to the groovy ghoulies because of you, because you, you brought them to this podcast many, many years ago. Uh, Marissa. What's your pick for Overlooked at the time, but discovered later? Uh, Rochambeau by the Grays. Just great pick absolutely outrageous so good it it could only happen once and never again i guess uh my my idea of a super group i think inspired if i recall correctly by either john bryan or jason faulkner having listened to odyssey and oracle by the zombies and thinking mm. oh i want to you know do something i guess sort of a, a, akin to this or, or in this kind of vein and just in in terms of the sheer strength of the songwriting uh i remember what, what what's the the first track my my jaw just fell off its hinges when i heard it for the first time and uh stayed there as i listened to the whole thing so yeah the way that, the guitar that the lead guitar and his vocals just sync perfectly in that opening song just blows my mind every time da -da 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 -da. yeah 
Yep. So Head exploding moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. from, you know, not every album when you listen to it the first time, is it like, oh, you know, the you don't feel the earth move necessarily. This one, I felt it. Excellent pick. Kyle, what's your pick? Overlooked record, later discovery. I see the picture in the background there, but uh, not sure if it was mentioned. I'm going to have to go with Jeff Buckley's Grace. Um, I had no idea who he was in 1994, like zero idea. 95, 96, 97, still no clue. Um, you know, and then he, and then unfortunately he dies in what, 98, 97, 98. Um, and then I was like, who is this guy that everybody keeps talking about? Put on Grace, blown away. Um, my girlfriend and I, who is now my wife, probably listening in the background, um, we just, we both became obsessed with Jeff Buckley. Um, we went out and bought all the EPs, all the live albums, the DVDs. Um, he released, uh, what was it, Mystery White Boy. We didn't like the US version because it had three songs that weren't included on the Australian version. So we ordered the Australian version. Um, which at that time was probably around 60 bucks, which was a lot for a CD. Um, I think at this point we still have, we have her copy of Grace, my copy of Grace, the deluxe copy of it, and we have it on vinyl. So yeah, it's uh, it, it, to me, that's a mind blowing album. And I just, I love it through and through. An all timer for sure. Yeah. yeah. It never gets old and it's, yeah, I, I, I don't know why I never paid attention to him. I mean, obviously he wasn't sort of on the radio. I mean, there was nothing that I could, that I could think of that would be on the radio at the time, but yeah. Glad I did discover him though when I did. So great pick Jay, what do you got? So I discovered this a little late, but so it'd have been like 95 or 96. It was a dollar bin pick. Uh, the band's called Angelfish, and yeah. the singer is Shirley Manson, who goes on to be in Garbage a little later. Mm -hmm. But I had on. gotten this before I'd ever heard of Garbage, and just was picked it up because the album cover looked cool and it cost a buck, and was just blown away. It's it's gothy, it's edgy, it's got some really solid songwriting going on. You know, everything's trim and you know, to the point, it's melodic. Uh, it's got some great guitar work on it, some some chunky riffs and some nice melodic leads. It's almost like if Shirley Manson did a um, did a record with the call around the love era. You know, that's to me kind of where it's hitting that sweet spot. Uh, so I loved it at the time we reviewed it. I think I glowed. I'm sure I glowed about it in the review. I still love it now. It's a great record. So the record I'm going to pick is because of you, Jay, you and Keith. Um, I was only very passingly familiar with the cult and I did not get into the self-titled album from 1994 until many years later. And I think it's probably considered the, the biggest oddball of their career, yeah. but it's such an interesting record. It's so so different from everything you would expect from the cult, but somehow still works in a, in a very strange and weird way. Like the opening track could not sound less like a cult song and is still somehow one of the coolest sounding piano. <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. Piano rock songs that uh, there you go right there. 
Uh, and anytime I'm in a store, sorry, I was going to say, anytime I'm in a store and I see a picture of like a Ram or something like that, I (laughs) I take a picture, I text it to Jay and he knows exactly why I'm sending it to him. That's probably happened like four or five times over the years, just random pictures of Rams in, uh, in stores. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, that record is, uh, you know, I, I only knew the cult really from a couple singles. I did not get into them until the late nineties and then went back and like got into the, the records and um, you know, going forward and, and exploring stuff. I think also it's not this year, but then the Holy Barbarians record comes out uh, like, I think maybe 96 and then yep. Ian Asbury's solo record after that. So, but this was the sort of the start of it. And I probably didn't listen to this record until 97. Um, it's probably when it was handed to me to check out. So that's the one that I got to, pretty late um i'm gonna throw it out there a few other ones that maybe you have in your list that you'd like to suggest out there chip is raising his hand so i'm gonna say chip go ahead well just i didn't go so so because i didn't go i'm gonna cheat i got three answers uh jeff buckley as one Um, i'm sorry (laughs) that's okay Same, same 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 thing with kyle so i had a friend who was a sony college rep and I would go to his house and he'd say, bring a bag. And I'd fill up the bag full of CDs and I'd take them home and I'd go, I'd pick out the ones I really wanted to keep. And I'd take the rest and sell them and trade them in for beer money or for other CDs. Jeff Buckley's Grace, I never put on. It always was at the top of the pile to take back. And I always, right before going to the store, pulled it out and said, ah, I'm going to hang on to this until the next time. And I'm going to give it a listen before. And I kept doing that, doing that. And like, Kyle, I, I eventually got to it. And I was like, Oh my God, like, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Um, Marissa mentioned Oasis earlier. Uh, same Sony college rep called me and said, um, I'm going to Cleveland to see this band from the UK called Oasis. Now in my mind, he said, they are England. They are, they are, I can't remember exactly the words he used, but he essentially said, he's like, they're like Pearl Jam. And he gave me the CD and I listened to him like, they don't sound anything like Pearl Jam. What what he meant was the way that they're blowing up, they're going to be like, like a big band. Not like they sound like Pearl Jam, but so I didn't go see them at the Grog Shop in Cleveland, which holds like 150 people. And to this day, I'm so mad that I did not go to that show because it's Oasis. But like I said, I threw on the CD. I'm like, this isn't grunge. What's he talking about? And I misinterpreted <laughs> why he said. My real answer, though, is, uh, and it's an album that I loved when it came out, but I think it's overlooked, um, is Super Chunk's Foolish. Um, my favorite Super Chunk album, and I've seen them maybe, I don't know, a, a few times since 94. And like every time I've seen them, like my dream is that they play that album start to finish, or at least a lot of those songs. And at least the times that I've seen them, like I'm sort of lucky to get one song from that record. And I'm like, that record is so good. And that, like, I don't know if they don't like it or if they just, if they, if they overplayed it when they put it out and they, I, I don't know the reasoning for not playing a ton of stuff off that record, but um, that is by far my favorite super chunk record. I'm sorry for the oversight chip. No, we're so used to talking to you. I just assumed that I already did. <laughs> I thought you knew that I was going to have a long answer. So that's why you waited till there the you, end. That's also the, yes, that's exactly the, re- the reason. Uh, Marissa, I saw you excitedly wanting to get, get in yeah. there. I, um, Dada American Highway Flower, which, uh, they are actually touring, I think off Puzzle, which was the bigger album 
Um, they are doing like a West Coast. And I think, you know, they're, they're doing kind of one of those scattered circuits where they they hit a bunch of sort of random cities that don't really make a lot of sense to me. But I'm um, I am flying out to L.A. to see them next month. Um, it for me was the grower Dada album. I really love the band now and fell in love with them after seeing them live. Uh, but uh, it, it it's it's an interesting it's an interesting record because it's got all that beautiful melodicism that I feel ca like characterizes the group, but there's the, the title is apt. It's kind of this meandering, um, I, I don't want to say proggy album, but it, but it's definitely more experimental and less straightforward than puzzle was. And it's just the more you listen to it, the better it gets. And I, uh, I'm I'm trying to think of uh what like my exemplary songs on that are, but it's it's got this great satirical bent to it as well. Like "Scum" as a track comes to mind. So if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, it's a sophomore, but definitely not a slump, and I endorse it heartily. Okay, they're more than, they're more than just the Disneyland band, that's for sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ian. Okay, I'll, I'll I've got uh, three here. And coincidentally, uh, they're all British as well. Uh, I mentioned one already. Uh, next one on the list is Massive Attack Protection. Everyone goes to Mezzanine as the gold standard album. Mm -hmm. and, and rightfully so, but they've got other great stuff in their discography. Check it out. Uh, next one would be um, Underworld. Uh, dub No Bass with My Head Man. Uh, great album as well. And then the third one. Uh, the Prodigy, music for the Jilted Generation. Uh, they got a lot more airplay and recognition uh, and, not, and with the 96 single for um, the Firestarter and then obviously 97 with uh, Fat of the Land. But this is a great album as well and, and definitely up there with that album, uh, Fat of the Land. So those so are my three. I'm glad you mentioned The Prodigy. I just have to mention this really quickly because it's such a weird thing. My neighbor who lives across the street He's a little bit older than me. I'm turning 50 this year. He's like mid fifties. Um, he is really in electronic music. And he was saying like, he was really, you know, being five years or so older than me in 1994 puts him at like, you know, he's like in his mid twenties and he was like burnt out on music. Like he couldn't find anything. He was into like dance music and underground stuff and couldn't find anything. And he said he heard the prodigies album, like the one that you mentioned and it like totally revitalized his love of music again. And he still goes to like electronic music shows, like when, when there's like bands coming through town and he went like last year with one of our other neighbors and, and got so drunk, he got into a fight. <laughs> I'm just like, dude, you have kids. You, you <laughs> have a, you have a house in a morgue. You can't be getting into fights with people at, at you know, rave shows or whatever like it's that's that's let the young kids do that let the young kids yeah. do the brawling but also don't do it at raves by and large which are all about you know peace love yeah. unity respect right i'm trying yeah. to remember what show it was but it was like some elect some industrial or electronic band and yeah he had he had like came home with bloody nose and didn't remember anything because he got so drunk <laughs> like <laughs> what is going on anyway jan i hope you hear this because that was that was quite funny we all enjoyed your stories afterwards um who else had i jim i see yeah, you had I, the virtual hand up yes i got a few in mind um 
what's this band called the watchman uh within the trees they're i think they're out of winnipeg if i'm not mistaken yeah they're They'll canadian be- yeah winnipeg they yeah. are yeah and they're so good man like a little just maybe a little buffalo tom here and there but a little harder edged at times like all uncovered is one of the best songs of the year as far as i'm concerned so if you you know just seek that track out and if it clicks with you you'll the, the rest of the album should as well uh there's sick of it all with scratch the surface which is just it's bombastic hardcore punk with just these killer distorted bass lines which is totally my jam uh i really love the diggable planets record from this year i think that often gets overlooked and it's just got a little bit of everything on it it's not just hip-hop it's got a lot of jazz and a lot of different flavors going on in terms of the sampling they did a lot of really interesting uh techniques with what they do on that album in particular um they're they're playing in columbus tonight actually i I did i did see that the that the venue that they're playing at was offering buy one get one free tickets and like i i I debated going and i actually forgot it was tonight Uh, otherwise i probably would have checked it out i should i should see if they're playing chicago soon if it had been a weekend show i would have gone because my wife would definitely have wanted to see them yeah they're killer and uh shudder to think is a band that i got into later down the road especially once i became more aware of uh, uh craig wedron and like all the uh work he's done as a composer for a lot of films and soundtracks and things like that and oddly enough he also worked with jeff buckley uh for a really great song off the first love last rights uh soundtrack so i really really dig especially the the single off of uh, that particular record, uh, Shudder to Think, Pony Express record. I just, they're such a unique, weird, and interesting band. They're hard to categorize. <laughs> I, do have, yeah. I do have to say about that record, that magazine I wrote for, the, one of the reviewers, I, I will never forget, he was not a fan. Sure. And I think his review was very Pitchfork-esque in that it was um, it was a three-word review, and it said, um, Shudder to Stink. Oh. And that was his review. Oh, yeah. That's a shit sandwich. <laughs> That's so dismissive, yeah. <laughs> That's not cool, man. Yeah. That's not cool at all. Uh Jay, you raised your hand like a like a good <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can't I can't get out of here without talking about Satchel. Yes. Um, EDC. Mm-hmm. And this was a it was an interesting discovery for me because I was a huge fr- fan of Brad. And at this time, right, there's no internet. So that Brad album came out. It sort of like went right to the discount bin. I love Sean Smith. I didn't even know who he was. I just knew the singer on that Brad album was awesome and incredible. Goes radio silent. Like, I don't know who that person is. I don't ever hear another Brad record. Then in 96, I see the beautiful girls movie and get the soundtrack. And there's that voice. I remember sitting in the movie theater and suffering comes on in the movie. And I'm like, I know that voice. Like, what is this? It, told, it kind of freaked me out. Like you're one of like five people who saw that. I know theater. it was so weird. It was like I, I know who's singing, but I can't. I don't know who this is. So I sat through the credits and saw the name Satchel, and then went out and got the record, which it had been out at that point two or three years. Not only do you get, you know, 
great Sean Smith performances, but also introduced me to Reagan Hagar, who's a super underrated drummer. Uh, amazing grooves on this record. Um, mm-hmm. Some great ballads, some, some, some cool Brad type stuff that's a little trippy and heavy at times. But yeah, I, got, I can't get out of here without mentioning that record. Great pick. Thank you for mentioning that. Kyle with the raised hand. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I got a couple. I mean, I listened to the radio quite a bit and didn't listen to a lot of heavier stuff at the time, uh, sort of that outlier heavier anyway. But uh, some of the stuff on my list is the Melvin Stoner Witch. Uh, I've become a mm-hmm. pretty big fan of that album. Uh, Betty by Helmet is one of my favorites as well. Um, Toadie's Rubberneck. I knew, um, what was it? Po- what's that? Possum? Possum the, Kingdom. The, yeah. Possum Kingdom. Yeah. And there's so many other great songs on that album. I, I wish I knew it back before then. Um, what else have I got? Sugar, File Under Easy Listening, and Material Issue, and uh, probably get me ostracized, but Corn. Um, their debut came out that year. I didn't discover it until New Metal kicked in, and uh, man, I love that album. Don't worry, we'll let you stay. <laughs> okay, man, I was late, and I like Corn. Oh boy! <laughs> um, a couple that I was I was late to. Uh, one was for your own special sweetheart by Jawbox. I didn't listen to Jawbox until probably the end of the decade. I didn't I didn't have any knowledge of that band existing, and then discover. I I don't remember how I got into them. It might have been through Keith, or, uh, f- when we were rooming together for a summer. Um, B thousand by Guided by Voices. That was a band I did not know about, even though I like kind of knew they existed. I just didn't know where to even go with that band, and I didn't really get into Guided by Voices until the early two thousands. I think I think I was a like kind of aware when the Do Your Collapse album came out because the Teenage FBI single was kind of big and it was played on radio. Um, and then Isolation Drills came out and I was like, oh, OK, I like some of these songs. And that's that's probably when I started going backwards and and listening to Alien Lanes and B-1000 and stuff like that. Um, I think if Phil was here, that would have been his pick uh, at the start of the episode. Yes, you're probably right about that. One that um, came to us from our dear friend who passed last year, Stephen John, is the album um, Ignore Us by Into Another. It was what we reviewed on the podcast, and it is a wild record. It is a post-hardcore record with a dude who is just shredding on top of it, and it does not sound like any other post-hardcore record that I can think of. Um, it was a really interesting listen, and I'm glad that Stephen and Vadim brought that to us because that was a great, great album. Um, we've actually reviewed a lot of records from 1994. Jay, you mentioned like Angelfish, and Marissa, you mentioned Dada. Um, what else? Live, Who else? Live Satchel. Portishead uh, was mentioned. Mark Lanigan was mentioned. Nobody mentioned one of the biggest records, which was Null's album, Absolute Zero, which Jay will remember is the only <laughs> album that we've reviewed that was never actually like released. It was yeah, a part of a the, comic has book. to be the most obscure album we've ever released. Ever well, released. I was funny because I went and looked back at our, our entry on the website and all the links are broken. 
that I put to find the album. So good luck trying to find the record because all those websites are gone <laughs> that <laughs> I, did, I don't know anybody who has a copy of that record anywhere in the world. If you do, um, that's great. I'm, I'm glad for you. Uh, another one was I didn't get into until the late 90s was guided or uh, not guided by voices. Girls Against Boys. Um, I got onto them, got into them with the Freakonica record and then worked back which is totally unlike any of their other records. Uh, this is the year of Cruise Yourself. And I absolutely love uh, Girls Against Boys now. Um, so that was one I, I came to much, much later. Okay, last category. Chip's hands up. Oh, Chip, I'm sorry. Chip, you're muted. I am. How do we make it this far and nobody mentioned... Uh, Failure's first album came out in 94, Magnified. True. I don't love that record. <laughs> I don't think I do There's some either. good songs on the record. Yeah, there's a, there's like two or three but it's really good songs. Not my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. No, fair. Fair. I, wait, is this Year of Magnified? Isn't Comfort the first record? Oh, yeah. It's, you're right. Yeah, Magnified oh, you're right. record. Yeah, magnified, Comfort. I do like Magnified better than Comfort. The first record is yeah, very yeah. raw. Magnified... Yeah is is a good record they're starting to form their sound at that point. yes yeah. exactly yeah. i don't think of them as like fully forming until kelly scott joins on drums and then like then the yeah. band is like fully realized but there are some really good songs in this record like bernie and a few other ones Let's get into, this might be a painful one, albums that you absolutely loved when they came out, but they've fallen off for you. This They don't have to be big albums like we talked about before. These could be things that you were really into in the 90s um, and not everybody else was. And now you're like, why was I into Rusted Root? I don't understand. Why, why, was, why was that a thing? millions were i want to point that out they did go platinum with that record you just keep telling yourself that they were they sold a million records and they weren't all my purchases that's how tim's gonna put himself to bed tonight millions were in millions loved it millions millions i'm not alone they went, pla they went platinum it's okay <laughs> um kyle do you have any records that you were uh, a big fan of that you love that are now not a part of your music consumption anymore yeah rem monster it yeah. was mentioned earlier um i mean when it first came out i mean automatic for the people is is probably one of my favorites of theirs uh next to new adventures and hi-fi but i mean obviously this predates that but when it first came out it was really exciting to listen to it and hear it and it's like okay yeah they're gonna take this in a whole new direction now going back it's just every song sounds exactly the same that full-on reverb fuzzed out um you know michael stipe just like covers up his vocals with something i don't know what it's not auto-tune because that wasn't around but it just 
it just does not sound good anymore. I mean, what's the frequency? Kenneth is still, you know, it's still a fun song. It's, it's, it's great. I don't know if it's nostalgia that kicks in with that one, but I mean, when that guitar kicks in, it's fantastic. But I mean, from there on in, probably until the last three tracks, it's just, it's super boring. And I just, yeah, I can't get into it anymore. Yeah, I told myself a long time for a long time that that was my favorite REM record. And I had to finally be like, no, this isn't this isn't where it's at. I honestly think that if it wasn't an REM album, it would have been forgotten. Like, it, I think it would have just been passed by the wayside. And I mean, not that it hasn't, because I mean, every used music store has hundreds of copies of it and and whatnot. But oh, yeah, so I still got suckered into buying it on vinyl, though, when they re-released it. But. Chip is aware there was a record store. I don't think it's there anymore, but it was over in like the 161 area and they had like 10 cent CDs all, all the way up until like COVID. And they had like 400 copies of REM's monster all together, just a wall. <laughs> yeah. And they, yeah. like there were, there were a couple of albums. And, like Joan, and Joan Osborne. Joan Osborne's. Yeah. And the Joan Osborne album. Like hundreds. Of buybacks. Buybacks 400 called, copies right? of monster in a row would look pretty cool i think though just uh with the I, spine there was probably i mean there were thousands of cds in that store and i would find one out of place like i'd find an rem monster somewhere else and i'd walk <laughs> it back over like how did you get away from the rest of the group get back over there with the rest of them <laughs> this group will appreciate this group will appreciate this story that tim will confirm that store had so many cds like just it was almost like a warehouse size. I mean, like the yes. rows and rows and rows. And to Tim's point, they were like, you could go in there and they were like 10 for a buck or something like that. Not all the time, but like a lot of the time it was, mm -hmm. but you would go through and like, I would be, I'd give up after like 14 rows and I'd find like nine, like they, it was stuff that I've never heard. Like, I don't know where these CDs came from. I've never heard <laughs> of most of the stuff that, that, that was there. And I'm like, I kept doing, I kept trying to trick myself. Like I'm going to do one more row. Cause I know that one thing I've been looking for is in that row. And then six rows later, I'm like, I've been here two and a half hours and I've only found nine CDs. I'm taking off. I took a half day from work one time <laughs> to go there because I knew it was going to take that long. I was like, I'm going to need four hours to make it through 20 rows. And that won't even be half of this. And I would come out, come out with five CDs, but there was only 50 cents for these five yeah, CDs. Yeah. But I spent four hours to find them. It was yeah, yeah. those that was there was nothing like that place. It was crazy. No. Um <laughs> something, Marissa, that you loved that no longer you love. I I can't answer this question. I <gasps> I, I swear to God, I, I am such a loyalist that the idea of rejecting something, uh years down the line i just i can't think of anything i can think of albums that other people shame me for listening to um <laughs> does it <laughs> um, I mean, if you want to go that way you can yeah but... sure i mean because it's it's the only choice or, or rather the, the the only like category that comes remotely close to um to the one you you designated and that is it's also kind of i don't know if it counts because the band released it on their own label in 1990 and then it was re-released like officially in 1994 or by a you know a, a, a proper separate label um and that is a ferociously stoned by the cherry pop and daddies whose very 
band name. Wow. It pains me to utter, but I do. do you said that, not us. Huh. But every every time I bring them up, people are like, oh, the Zoot Suit Riot Band. And I'm like, they're more than the Zoot Suit Riot Band. <laughs> There's so much more. <laughs> yes, there, there really is. And um, one of the things I actually really admire about Steve Perry, who is the uh, the principal songwriter and the band leader, is that he has a true um like chimeric love of all forms of popular music from like ragtime and jazz to the contemporary era and that knowledge and that love shines through his songwriting and it may get derided by a lot of people as kitsch um or as garbage but it is sincere and it is um in in a lot of ways quite inventive still and they're still touring and releasing records and i think they're great love it completely failed at this part of this uh show i know see i'm a lover and not a hater at heart yeah i'm 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 with marissa i couldn't come up with one for this um so i'm gonna twist it as well we'll just stay in that theme i'm gonna twist it to i wanted to love it at the time bought it tried really hard didn't love it revisited it now still don't like it um the band is called and i'm also going to go super obscure so i want to show my hands the band is called bloodline is anybody here familiar with a band called bloodline chip no okay good anybody else well maybe not is bloodline the mud honey thing nope oh what was it mark arm had a band so, called blood something so Bloodline was a band that got some pretty good press because it's made up of former of uh, children of famous musicians. So the singer is Aaron Hagar, Sam Hagar's son. Waylon oh, it's Krieger, already a bunch of douchebags. Right. Robbie <laughs> Krieger's son. Um, Barry Oakley, the son of or Barry Oakley Jr., son of Barry Oakley. Aaron Davis, the son of Miles Davis, and just rounded out Joe Bonamassa. So at the time, it was like, what a weird collection of people. I know. It was right, like exactly. hyped as, I think, is like a Stevie Ray Vaughan type blues band with like all of these celebrities or whatever. And it does not work. Mark, I mean, it sounds Mark, like third rate Stevie Ray Vaughan, which nobody wants to hear like i love no. steve ray Vaughan, but nobody wants to hear third race steve ray Vaughan. no mark arm was in blood loss not blood oh, okay okay well that makes more sense <laughs> that makes a lot more sense because he mark yarm mark yarm mark arm as a part of that group would have been <laughs> yeah. a disaster uh Okay, raise your hand if you have one that you would like to, because Marissa and Jay have both opted out. Uh, Ian, go ahead. Okay, I, I can go, and I'm slightly cheating with this one, but uh, for me, it's a KMFDM, Naive Hell to Go. So Naive was released in 1990, uh, then was pulled and recalled because it contained a sample of O Fortuna uh, that was not cleared or anything. So Sasha went back, remixed the album. And so obviously I got this album first because by the time I was off print. And then when I finally found a used CD that was 
$10 and not horribly expensive online and listen to the original Naive, this one has been relegated to the dust pile and that the original album is phenomenal. These remixes, they're good. And I mean, I do enjoy them, but uh, it's very much in line with what he was doing in 93 with Angst and then following up in 95 with Nile. So, but the original is superior in every way. And it's unfortunate that even the Metropolis uh, release in 2006, uh, uh, the one song was edited and you can't still, you can't get the original version. <laughs> so, hmm. but uh, it, it's one for me, like I said, it's gone to the dust pile just because it's a till nail clipping almost. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, Jim, I see your hand up. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if well, if I outright dis dislike this record entirely. So, of course, I adored Nine Inch Nails, as we all do, I think, to some extent, probably. Uh, but there was a film that came out that year uh, that my friends and I thought was so cool. And a part of the experience uh, after seeing it was going to the local CD store to get the soundtrack. And I'm talking about Natural Born Killers, which ah. I played repeatedly in the car. And it has some great individual tracks, including Burn, obviously. But I'm just not a fan of the interstitial inclusion of dialogue from the movie in between songs, or sometimes even in the case of like something I can never have embedded in the actual song. So when I go back and listen to that now, I just don't like it anymore at all. So interesting. Yeah. You've got fighting words there. Oh, I figured, I figured that was going to happen, but there's some, yeah. I mean, I, individual tracks, there's some great choices on there. And this was the first time Trent produced a soundtrack of any kind. And he would go on to yeah. do incredible it, it stuff. was his first soundtrack, but uh, I, I mean, I, I'm in the opposite. I, I love it. I still listen to it. Uh, it's a very unique approach to soundtracks and just this uh, smorgasbord and collection of songs. It is, yeah. And that, it has an excellent flow and that. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, I mean, like I said, I definitely uh, disagree with you on that. <laughs> you got to be in the right frame of mind to want to listen to that, I think. That's true. Um, yeah. I picked it up yeah. a couple of years ago and I hadn't listened to it in decades. And yeah, I mean, it's it's good. It's 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 interesting. But yeah, I don't, it's not something I put on every day for yeah. sure. I but even not, during, that would be even, a little even during the Bob crazy. Dylan song, though, they include dialogue from the movie. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. don't do that. <laughs> That's just me, though. Got it. It does bring it down a bit. Yeah. Chip. So I don't know that I love this band, but a band that I bought a CD and interviewed. Oof. The Boss Tones. Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. You know, there was for for me that you know there was a momentary like this is pretty cool stuff. I will I would be honest. Part of the reason I probably ended up not liking that CD um, when I interviewed him, and I may have shared, shared the story before. Keep in mind, this is print. No internet's around in 1994, at least not that I had. And I remember I was asking about videos, and uh, and Dickie Barrett came and he turned off my tape recorder, and he's like. I'm going to tell you about this video that we're putting out, but I don't want it to leak until people see it. So don't put this in your article. I'm like, dude, we're like three week lead time. This is a small <laughs> magazine in Ohio. I'm not spoiling any surprise. And it was a video for, I forget what it was, one where they're 
all chained together and they're like escaped convicts or they're you know they're they're like the uh, i don't even remember what the video is about um maybe like the the prison bus ran off the side of the road and they're running through the woods all chained together or something like that but he was so adamant that like i had to turn it off and i couldn't tell anybody about this video because it was like so big for them and so inventive and so different and whatever so um yeah, I, I had a, a, a momentary flirtation with the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, but uh, yeah, that might be my one that I, I liked for, for a little bit of time, but but not after. Uh, so Jay, you might be you might be um, surprised to hear this, but I, I did go through a Boss Tones phase. Oh, of course you did. <laughs> Is that where you turned when uh, when you left? When Rusted I when Root? I left the when I left Rusted Root, I I, I put on my ska. Rusted root broke your heart. Uh, side note: We were just watching Brooklyn Nine Nine, and there's a scene where Andy Samberg's character flashes back to when he was in the '90s, and he's wearing like the hat and and suspenders, and he's like, "I love ska, and I'll never turn my back on ska." And I, <laughs> <laughs> that was you. No, I didn't. I didn't go that far, but I did buy some. Mighty Buddy Boss Tone CDs. I got Don't Know How to Party and Question the Answers, uh, which came out back to back, 93, 94. And I like those records. I I was put off by, let's face it, and that the impression that I get because it was so overplayed on the radio and it didn't have the chaos of some of their earlier stuff. Like there was a little bit of a chaos element with some of this. It just felt like aggressively happy. And the impression that I get felt I don't know, lame compared to that. So, and then Dickie Barrett went off the rails. I think he got like kicked off the Jimmy Kimmel show for his COVID stance or refusing to get, uh, to get uh, the uh, vaccine. Like he quit instead of that. Eric. Yes. All right. So um, this album went, I believe platinum. Guitar Rock Magazine or Guitar World Magazine says it's number 23 of the iconic albums that define 1994. It's currently sitting at 6% in the um, Patreon poll, and that is Promised Land by Queensryche, which I liked a lot more at the time than I do now. There are definitely some good songs on it. There's definitely some interesting things on it. But it absolutely is not the Queensryche record that I go back to at all. recently because it was in the full i was like oh that's kind of interesting i was like i need to go back and listen to operation mind crime and i put that on. i was like oh my god <laughs> like <laughs> this is intense like i'm staying here i'm not i'm in, I'm in my uh i'm in the right place here ian i'm gonna go uh not so much but still on the same theme but 
songs on the radio from albums that I will automatically switch the station. And that's two albums I'm surprised over an hour and a half we haven't mentioned. Green Day Dookie and Soundgarden Super Unknown. I do not care for those albums. I've spoke my piece on uh, the Discord many times about those albums, but I'm surprised they have not been mentioned yet. <laughs> well, oh, they, they were so played. They were so overplayed. And I think, you know, limiting is to, to one answer and then a little mm -hmm. follow-up afterward probably yeah. doom them in some respects. Um, you know, because like, I don't know if you feel this way, Jay, but like, I don't mind some Soundgarden album tracks. But the singles I don't really care to hear anymore. Yeah. Like yeah. I I like hearing like Rhinosaur or or you know something deep off of that wasn't a big single off of a of a Soundgarden album. Yeah. Um but not I don't ever need to hear Fell on Black Days or something like that. The yeah, album tracks you. on Super Unknown are so good compared to the singles. Yeah. Like Spoonman is one of the worst songs that I think they've ever done. But I mean, then you've got other things on there like Limo Rack. And, Limo Rack. Um, that song's fucking amazing. Like, it's just like, like Suicide. So heavy. Like, yeah. Suicide is great. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The album track's fantastic. Yeah. I I went I went through a little Green Day phase and I liked Dookie, but I can't listen to that record at all now. Like, I got Nimrod when it came out and really like that, but. And I listen to, I've listened to some of the new record. It's okay, but it doesn't like make me go, oh, this is their back. Like it just sounds like what they sound like. Um I am surprised that we have two Canadians here and we have not mentioned the tragically hip stay for night. <laughs> you just I, have a, I have a list, I have a list of Canadian bands yeah, that I say. was hoping to mention. So because yeah, same here. That one and uh, 5440, uh, Spine and Buddha Cabaret. Yeah. Uh, I have how one about other Canadian on my list, but won't be on your list, Kyle, but I'll mention it later. I, I'm sure people, hey. so we've gone through all of our, our categories here. So we need to talk about maybe our favorite records that didn't come up and um, other, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I mentioned Tragically Hips, Dave for Night, Jay. You'll probably be with me on this one. The Manic Street Pre Preachers, the Holy Bible. To me, that's that's probably yeah. that's my favorite Manic Street Preachers album. It's one of my favorite oh. albums of all time. Um, Still, a we've done an episode on it. Yeah. So, what are some albums that didn't get mentioned that you think are deserving of mentioned? I am going to start with Kyle. All right, I'll just run down my list here of uh, Canadian rock. So I've got the hip day for night the watchman in the trees which was mentioned already fantastic album uh, i can't recommend that one enough um all uncovered aside lusitana is also great middle eastern awesome um other than that i'm looking at moist silver our lady peace navid uh the killjoy starry heads jerk 5440 smiling buddha cabaret sloan twice removed and rhymes with orange trapped in the machine like to me, like I still listen to these albums probably once a year. Um, I don't know why I'm waving the paper around, but um, fantastic. <laughs> like just point of order. <laughs> it just gets me so excited. Like I, I love I love all those albums. And I yeah, I listen to those probably probably every year. Navid is a great, great record. I still have it that is. in a mix on my in my car. On my... Oh, the song is killer. Yeah. Baseline that opens it. Yes. 
I, I don't know what magic they had in that record. I, they never really sounded like that again. But Mike Turner's guitar playing on the record is phenomenal. Somebody, I think it was probably Bob Rock, told at some point um, Rain Maida that he should stop singing like a weasel trapped in an oven that's slowly heating up. And it was the worst thing that ever happened to the band. <laughs> aside from Mike Turner leaving. Yeah. We Those were two bad things. Yeah. Pop goes the weasel. Uh, the only other two I have are on uh, Grantly Buffalo's Mighty Joe Moon. Uh, I listen record. to that quite a bit. And I'm actually surprised that they don't get mentioned more, but. It's one of those bands that doesn't seem to garner much discussion, but. You'll has... be pleased to know that they played a sold out show at Bowery, Bowery Ballroom in New York City very recently. So. Well, that's good to know. Oh, wow. I didn't know they were still doing. here. Awesome. And uh, Jesus and Mary Chain, Stone and Dethroned was one of my other big ones that year. Okay. Yeah. Well, here, I'll, I'll add on to the Canadian Ian. list here. Canadians. Uh, the, only, the only other Canadian band I have uh, is Frontline Assembly, Millennium. So uh, this, they uh, incorporate a lot of the heavy metal guitar. Uh, they had uh, Devin uh, Townsend from uh, Strapping on Glad uh, on this album, uh, doing a lot of guitar work. Um, it it is a bit overlooked. I mean, following Caustic uh, Grip and Tactical Neuro Implant, but it's still a very solid album. Uh, other albums on my list: uh, Pop Will Eat Itself, uh, Dos Dios Me Is Amigo, and that and very uh, another uh, great album from them. Unfortunately, it was their last one. Uh, this one was also released on uh, Trent Reznor's uh, Nothing uh, imprint. Um, other ones, some older. Uh, legacy bands that uh, I, I caught up with uh, in part because my parents, the first one, uh, Pink Floyd, The Division Bell, obviously mm -hmm. doesn't touch the stuff that they did with Roger Waters in the 70s, but it is still a good album and Phenomenal Tour, which would be uh, documented with Pulse a few years later. And Where did, uh, you, uh, where did you see them? I didn't see them, unfortunately. Oh. I was uh, away getting my uh, glider pilot's license <laughs> when they were oh, okay. Yeah, I saw that tour in in Edmonton. It was awesome. Yeah. And Did then, anybody get um, the the live Pulse CD that had the little light? That, the little LED. Yep. Is yep. it still blank? Well, I it's don't a have the CD so. anymore. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, but the other albums, uh, same similar way, uh, going back uh, with older bands, uh, Rolling Stones, Voodoo Lounge, and that. Uh, I mean, it's a solid album. I mean, it doesn't hold the candle to their earlier stuff. Uh, right. Alice Cooper, Last Temptation, as well, uh, and then other ones uh, going back for my to me, more uh, my style. Uh, Autecker, Amber, uh, Killing Joke, uh, Pandemonium. Pandemonium. Uh, this was their first album without youth on bass, uh, so it is a bit lacking compared to other Killing Joke albums. But uh, I, I still enjoy it from time to time. And then the last one is a compilation. Uh, that uh, I, I should give to you guys uh, for a, a dig mount review, but I don't think 40 tracks will cut it. Um, uh, Black Box, uh, Wax Tracks, the first 13 years, which is a compilation that TVT uh, Records released when they bought the label. Uh, fuck you, Steve. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, it is a solid compilation and definitely is a good representation of the uh industrial genre especially with what was going on in chicago uh the only absence on it probably due to rights would be uh front 242 headhunter i thought you were referencing black box the uh the house band, house band? yeah uh, i don't with, think uh, everybody everybody 
Yeah. No. Which is uh, one of my favorite club anthems. No, no, no. This is, like I said, it was a, co- a compilation. So. Got it. Yeah. Uh, Marissa. File under easy listening. Yes, that's a great record. Sugar. I, I just, I had to throw that in there because I can't believe I hadn't mentioned it or that nobody else had. I, I am a, I, I prefer, always have preferred Sugar to Husker Du, and um, mm-hmm. I, I just love Same. everything that he's done, yep. um, either as a solo artist or, or with that band, so. That record, I again, it's another one that I have like in my massive playlist when I drive. Uh, it's so big sounding. That and, and Copper Blue, they just sound so enormous. Like so many guitars. And I was thinking about the fact that like uh, like G Angel and, and the other songs, like I don't think there's any toms on some of those songs. Like it's just snare, kick, and hi-hat. Just, just pounding. Every fill is a snare fill. There are no like tom fills on those songs it's just so on top of it um it's awesome any other ones not that it? i i think i i think all my bases were covered by uh, the covered. other okay. the other the other citizens of the dmo union so eric all right so a quick couple of them um animal bags offering ep which we talked about in an episode we don't really need to go into that again uh, probably my favorite album from the year was Dogman by King's X. Uh, Liquor in the Front by um, Reverend Horton Heat is uh, is one that from that year that I think is where they really uh, hit their stride. I like the earlier records a little more raw, but this is where they they really gelled as a it's a studio band, I guess you could say. Um, Kevin Kenny's Down Outlaw. Uh, this was kind of a very blues acoustic record and I don't love every song on it, but I think it's, it's an interesting companion to what was going on with driving and crying at the time and a follow up to his first solo record. There's an album by a band called die monster die. It's called the withdrawal method that I've had in my collection forever. I've never sold it. I've never really loved it, but it's an oddball record that I, I just keep around. Um, and then finally, one I keep thinking that I should throw in the hopper or I should pick as a um, yearly pick. And that's uh, the album Brave by the band Marillion, which is a concept record that is not quite prog metal, but very prog rock. And uh, I think it's it's a great record that uh, I guess they're much bigger in Europe, in the UK than they are in the States. But it's, it's one that definitely people should check out. Cool. That's a band I've. I've always heard that name. I've never checked out their stuff. I need yeah. to check them out. Jim, what do you got? Um, yeah, I, I know somebody earlier mentioned a compilation. The uh, DGC Rarities, mm-hmm. Volume 1. I mean, every band on there I pretty much love. And I think more people need to listen to that dog. So I'm glad that they're included on there. Um, let's see. I uh, Oh, Hole. I still love Hole. I mean, say what you will about Courtney Love, but I I think whole live through this is still, you know, a, a beautifully constructed piece of catharsis. <laughs> and the fact that I saw whole Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson play all in a row at a sh- you know, and my I thought I was gonna die at the concert because <laughs> I I'd never experienced getting you know a boot to the head, 
uh, <laughs> thanks to crowd surfing and moshing and all this stuff that I never experienced before. So that's a show that I'll never forget. Uh, so Hole still has a special place in my heart. Uh, Lowe's record, I Could Live in Hope. Uh, just they're always going to be one of my favorite bands. And that's kind of where I first started listening to them. And probably the album I've fallen asleep to the most and definitely have had weird dreams is Aphex Twins Selected Ambient Works Volume 2. <laughs> there you go. Yes, I was waiting for that to get mentioned. Uh, great sleeping record. Chip. All right, here we go. Uh, I've got the ones over my shoulders, Veruca Salt's debut American Thighs and Pavement's Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. Uh, two albums that I listened to, have been listening to for 30 years and not ever put aside. Um, Hole was on my list. Uh, the first Stabbing Westward album, On God. Uh, Diary by Sunday Day Real Estate came out in 94. Mm -hmm. The album that um, I'm a little bit surprised it didn't come up in one of these categories, Love It or Hate It, was Weezer's Blue album came out in 94. Yep. Um, because of Green Day, like I did not listen to whatever you want like in my mind that was punk music i don't know if it's true definition of punk but um because of green day i went back <clears throat> 94 bad religion stranger than fiction came out and i love that record uh i got turned on to rancid because of green day let's go and in the heavy category pantera's far beyond driven meat puppets kind of became more commercialized and put out something that had radio hits with too high to die Mm -hmm. and two more on my list um i don't i don't this is one of those albums that i own but i always listen to the single and it's um and i don't even know how to say this the single's name it's by the band therapy and i think it's is it screamager scream screamager screamager something like that it's it's such a great kind of riffy it's like not heavy like helmet but it's kind of got that start and stop kind of mm -hmm. riffs also, the last thing on my list is, so I think this was between Pablo Honey and the Benz. Um, Radiohead put out a single that had My Iron Lung on it. And I remember getting that as an import at a store. And that song is so different than the stuff on Pablo Honey. Like that song was just like, you know, it starts off kind of quiet and builds up and builds up. And then it gets really heavy and then goes back and forth between quiet and heavy. And like that, that DP, I still have that CD. EP. that that song blew my mind like i thought that was does, just... that, does that have permanent daylight on it because that's that song just kind of blew me away like it's or it's, polyethylene it, it, i think is on yeah it. that one that one's good too maybe yeah. uh Did yeah. meet me, me in the aisles or meeting yeah, people it's, is easy it's permanent daylight lewis mistreated oh, you never wash yeah. up the trickster punch drunk lovesick lajan of love and creep acoustic are the tracks this is when you get a, a you know an EP and there'd be like nine tracks on it. It's basically an album. Yeah. No, permanent daylight yeah, just made yeah. me think like, oh, this band could be like Sonic Youth. <laughs> you know, they, that is just it totally reminded me of uh, Daydream Nation. And when they played it live, like for the Hail to the Thief tour, I was the only one who got excited in the crowd because <laughs> I'm like, I know this song and nobody else does. Oh my god, it's so great they're playing it. <laughs> Any other ones? And that Chip? has exhausted my list. That's exhausted nope, that's list. It. Okay, Jay, what what is what do you want to mention that hasn't been mentioned? I'll just knock out some that we've done on the podcast that I discovered. Gun Swagger, mm -hmm. um, Jennifer Trina and Cockamamie. Love that record. Uh, into another. Yep. Is it Ignorus? Ignorus. 
ignore us bad religion stranger than fiction um smile is it Mackie? Mackie? yep uh i think that's it extreme waiting for the punchline is another one we've reviewed all those and i think they're pretty solid so i gotta mention a couple marissa i am surprised i thought you might have mentioned the what is jail like ep by the afghan wigs because it has seven songs including their my world is empty without you i hear a symphony symphony cover which I is, just didn't I didn't know if it fit the criteria. Sure. So I this is the year of EPs. <laughs> this is the Jar of Fly year. Uh, I, I love their cover of Dark End of the Street. One of my favorite uh, Wigs covers. And they did. Obviously, the Wigs have done a ton of covers, but that's one of my favorite covers. Uh, of he theirs. is. Uh, Greg Dooley is. And I know that I am biased, uh, but I, no. I really do think that he is the best cover artist of the 90s. I mean, he's. Yeah. His, oh, yeah. Got, I completely agree. Yeah, incredible facility for not just um, great performances, uh, loving homage, but reinvention, which is uh, what makes a fantastic cover. Another EP that I love from this year is Matthew Sweet's Son of Altered Beast EP, which has Super Deformed on it and um, his cover of Neil Young's Don't Cry No Tears. It's just it's a great little EP uh that one and and the what jail is like and jar of flies was, was a good really good year for eps few other things to mention that haven't been mentioned uh i'm a big fan of soul coughing ruby vroom came out this year uh this is the year of pisces iscariot by the smashing pumpkins which is a compilation of b-sides and rarities but to me is like as good as their material in the 90s uh dogman star by suede that's this year uh, a album and band that we discovered through the podcast, The Wanna Dies. Their album Be a Girl came out this year. It's a great British power pop record. Um, Season to Risks in a Perfect World, which we talked about on the podcast uh, a couple years back. Very good record. We've mentioned uh, a bunch of the bands uh, Green Day, uh, Bad Religion, uh, Rancid. This is also the year of the Offspring Smash, which is was at the time the most successful independent record of all time when it was released. Uh, I don't know that I ever bought the record, but I always dug the singles from that album. I didn't really like anything they did after that. Uh, well, actually, the, the, the record after this was okay. And then when they got into like... Um, Pretty Fly for a White Guy. Yeah, that was when I lost my interest completely. Um, <laughs> this is the year of Frank Black's Teenager of the Year which I liked that record. Uh, Caius's Welcome to Sky Valley. Sebado's Bake Sale. Again, another one I believe we did um, for the podcast. Uh, this shirt, Dinosaur Jr. Without a Sound. That's this year. Great yeah. record. I feel
Another one that we did, this is a long time ago, but Blind Mr. Jones Tatooine, which is a kind of shoegazy dream pop record. That was really good. Uh, and this is also the year of the soundtracks that I mentioned at the top. We already talked about Natural Born Killers. We talked about The Crow. Also, this is the year of Clerks, which has a really good soundtrack. There's a great um, song by, uh, there's a song by Allison Chains on there. Uh, there's a the debut of Golden Smog, which is the super group starring Dave Perner and Jeff Tweedy and Gary Loris. And they do, I think, Shooting Star by Bad Company. Um, this is My So-Called Life. That's this year, their soundtrack. Ton of great bands, including the Afghan Wigs and Buffalo Tom and a bunch of other bands. This is the year of the Reality Bites soundtrack and Airheads. The airhead soundtrack. So this is a great year for soundtracks all over the place. And that's just the, the big ones that I remember. That is, There's a bunch of other ones because there's a lot of... This is when the movie industry also figured out that they could make money uh, releasing soundtracks and uh, having you know stuff uh, oriented towards Gen X in terms of movies. Pulp Fiction was in there too. Yeah. Oh, Pulp yeah. Fiction. With uh, Urge Overkill. Yep. Great call. Oh, that's yeah, a very... huge song. Yeah. So uh, I want to mention some of the comments for some of the albums that didn't come up. Um, Jeff Gentis, who was going to try to be here, but he couldn't. He mentioned that on May 10th, 1994, the following records were released. Sunny Day Real Estate's Diary. Weezer's Blue Album. Sonic Youth's Experimental Jet Set. And G-Love and the Special Sauce Self-Titled. Now, it's not the same as like September of 1991 when a whole bunch of stuff all came out on the same day. But that's a pretty good lineup of of albums. And then Richard Waterman, he's got some he's got some picks, some that we've already mentioned, but Adorables album Fake, Adrian Ballou's album Here, Animal Bag, which we already mentioned, Bark Psychosis Hex, the self-titled album by Deconstruction. Is that the Dave um, Navarro band? Yes. Yep. Okay. Gant Harvest, Kicking in the Water. Is that is that a Canadian band? Gant Harvest? I don't know. Uh, the God Machines, One Last Laugh in a Place of Dying. Head Swims, Tense Moments, Inch Stressor, Love Cup, Griefus, Gronks and Sheet. Griefus, Gronks and Sheet. I thought there was a whole other band. Sorry. Molly McGuire's Sister of... O-Rang's Herd of Instinct, Sensefield's Killed for Less, Sleazebees, Instant Insanity Beach. Why was there no mention of Sleazebees until now, Jay? What's going on? Because we're saving it yeah. for something yeah. else. We're saving yeah. it for something else. Okay. Smack Melon, self-titled, uh, Super Chunk, which was mentioned. Sweet Pickle Salad, which is, is that the uh, the Black the Crow Black thing? Crow side project, yeah. Yeah, with, the, with one of the guys from Jellyfish. Yep. Um, terror visions how to make friends and influence people tetsu inoue ambient otaku i'm sorry i don't i'm not familiar with that tortoise uh the velts aphrodisiac velvet crushes teenage symphonies to god Widowmakers, stand by for pain the 360s strawberry stone 5440 which we mentioned earlier the dgc rarities um the sfw soundtrack which I that was another one that had a bunch of stuff on it, and I completely forgot about that one. And he said, "Keep on rocking." So, I I think we have mentioned 
a good portion of the albums that came out this year. I'm sure we forgot maybe one or two. Eric's raising a finger. Which one did we forget, Eric? What was the oh, one we forgot? It's not the one we forgot. I just wanted to mention this is also the year of the Kiss tribute record, the Carpenters tribute record, oh, yeah. and the Black oh. Sabbath tribute record, which, as I recall, might have been the critical mass that really started the ball rolling for that particular era of um, multiple bands covering a single artist. Yeah. That for Kiss record Carpenters. Good. When Carpenters, I when I yeah. wrote for that magazine, the, the Carpenters record, um, we got an advanced copy, and I, uh, you know, the little gimmick for the magazine was that I sent it to my mom, who had been a Carpenters fan when I was a little kid, and asked her to write her review of it. Um, I don't think it was a very good review. I don't know if it was a good album either. I think that didn't Sonic Youth play on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't imagine my mom time. was a Sonic Youth fan. And that was like the it was used in uh, Juno. That was like a big deal in one of the scenes in Juno that they it was Superstar, right? That's the name of the yeah. song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh yeah. Matthew Sweet's on there too. That's really he did a really yep. great job. So is Shonen Knife. That might have been one of the the first places that Shonen Knife got actual distribution everywhere, rather oh. than just your local indie store. Interesting. Ian, hand raised. I guess the the one other thing that came out this year, and it's probably the best one that we can probably leave on, was uh, Nirvana's Unplugged and that. I mean, yeah. obviously released after Kurt Cobain's uh, suicide and that. So that was also this year and huge. Yeah, we that's probably a good stopping point in terms of also because we're at the two-hour mark and I don't want to go to four. So this is probably... <laughs> A good st- a st- part, place for us to to say, hey, if we forgot a record, please hit us up in the comments on social media or join us over at Patreon and and tell us in the co- in the uh, Discord or on the comments for this episode uh, where we messed up. What 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 did we forget? The conversation will definitely continue in the Discord. Oh yeah, <laughs> but this definitely massive year. What do we got there? What's that? Chip, would you hold up? Uh, Luscious Jackson. We didn't talk about that. Natural ingredients. Oh, natural ingredients. That's right. What are you talking about? But that is another. I was just flipping through to see all the different people that made the covers of these magazines, and they made a cover soon. Can I just say about the Nirvana record that that encapsulates a lot of what we just talked about with covers and heavier songs, and um, you know the 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 whole idea of uh, going acoustic. Yep. And uh, going back to kind of more roots rock and blues. Yep. That was, was huge. It was so point. big when it came out. I don't know of anybody that didn't actually own that album. And it, it still holds up today. Like it's yeah. It, it's it's a great experience. Thank you, all of you, for spending your Wednesday evenings with us. I know you all have to get up for work tomorrow. So uh, I'm going to wrap this up and say thank you to Marissa, Eric, Ian, Jim, Chip, and Kyle. You've all been great. Thank you for sharing your time with us. Um, Jay, we have another podcast we should probably promote. It's called what? What's it called? Dig Me Out 80s Metal. Dig Me Out 80s Metal. Our friend Chip, who's with us now. We do this every other week. We talk about some 80s metal. We just did Tesla, and soon we'll be doing another one very soon. We will. Tomorrow. Uh, it's a separate feed, so go to, you, go to your podcast app of choice and search Dig Me Out, yep. and uh, it'll come up. 
maybe we'll do some sleaze bees sometime in the future. <laughs> well, yeah, we're know. taking uh, suggestions. Oh, we, we will. We will, Tim. <laughs> the, I'm uh... so scared of what's <laughs> coming down the road. <laughs> um, yeah, to Chip and I are the experts. Tim knows nothing about any of these bands. So oh, we're doing the of... second record now, and I'm not going to spoil it, but I had never listened to this record before, and I am befuddled. I have I am maximum I have maximum <laughs> fuddlement. The fuddlement is off the off the charts. Can't wait. It's oh, it's going to be a discussion. Uh, I want to mention that uh, you can suggest those records both for the '80s metal podcast and for our '90s rock podcast at digmeoutpodcast.com. You can join us at Patreon, dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Box newsletter comes out every week it's at substack and apple podcasts is where you go to leave positive feedback for the show so for jay i'm tim we're out we're back next week with another episode of dig me out Sam,